You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and normally my mate Arthur Parkinson, but actually today he's having some time off. And so I am with Becky Crowley, who is an old friend of mine from the sort of flower growing floristry part of my life. And I first met Becky, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I guess, when she was just starting work at Chatsworth and was creating and well developing I suppose rather than starting from scratch the most amazing cutting garden there and I'd always loved the kitchen garden at Chatsworth for the veg it's on this beautiful slope with a little stream running right down the middle of it with fantastic amazing glamorous glass houses and I've always I'd always loved it but then Becky arrived and it was like the icing on the cake because she completely bought up to date and filled with all my favourite plants, the cutting garden. Welcome Becky, it's so exciting to have you on the podcast. Thank you Sarah, thanks for that introduction, it's really exciting to be here too. And I first met Becky partly actually through Arthur, which is why it's a shame he's not here, but we just find that these interview episodes of the podcast works better with two rather than three. So I bagged Becky. (laughs) Um, But also, we also met through Anna Potter, who we interviewed last year on the podcast, who's Swallows and Damsons, who's Becky's great university friend from Sheffield. And Becky first came to Perch Hill with Anna, actually, and they went out into the garden and picked lots of stuff and Becky talked a bit about the growing and then Anna and Becky kind of arranged it together. And that's what I feel is so brilliant about you as a grower in a way, Becky, is that you really love the sort of growing side just as much, if not possibly more than the arranging side. And for me, because I'm primarily a grower really rather than a florist, so that ticks all my boxes. Is that a right assessment? Yes, absolutely. I think I was at Chatsworth, I was so fortunate the way it happened because I'd got to Chatsworth on a like an apprenticeship, like a, this historic and botanic garden bursary scheme programme, which is really amazing. And after that, I'd I'd got a job at Chatsworth and that was shared between gardening in the pleasure grounds, um, just doing general gardening, and, but also doing the floristry for the Duke and Duchess in the house. So the Duke and Duchess live in uh, in Chatsworth House and they have flowers decorating their private apartments all year round. So I'd spent a year actually going around the garden, cutting flowers and decorating the house. So I had a good idea of their what they really liked and it had already, already kind of introduced me to the seasons and what's available all year round. And then And then I got the growing job. I didn't realise this. Yeah, I'd because I'd seen already how the flowers could be used, it really informed the way I grew and what, what, what I was choosing to grow as well in the garden. But I just fell in love with the growing side of it. You know, I really, I really did. I just like producing so much abundance and 
found that to be a great joy, really. And also, you're a big Instagram person. And I know that you're, you know, you're, you keep incredibly well up with trends, which is important, but not everything, because you've got your eye from the fact that you did art history, didn't you? Or did you do fine art at university? At fine art, fine okay. art it was, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I came to gardening definitely first through a love of nature, but also as a creative outlet. I find that that's why I loved floristry and was a florist before going to Chatsworth as well. And um, yeah, it's gardening is just this opportunity to tie the two worlds together that, you know, my love of nature and also my love of creativity is always really important me, to me to have a creative job and also to just be outdoors as much as possible. So this has been great. So you're you're a hardy type yeah. because you, you don't mind getting freezing cold and your feet and hands practically dropping off. Yeah, I'm very hardy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of a wimp in some ways, but but I love, you know, when it's an a dreary overcast day in the middle of winter, I always think, you know, if you're outdoors, at least you're getting the maximum amount of sunlight you possibly can get, you know. But I'm yeah. I'm hardier in the winter than I am in the summer. I'm I uh, I don't do that well in like full sun. <laughs> oh yeah, well you, you're a redhead, aren't you? So you you probably yeah, yeah need <laughs> to struggle. wear a very good hat. Yes, exactly. So tell us a bit about how you evolved the the cutting garden at Chatsworth because it 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 was jam packed in your time there and still is, but um with the most wonderful array of annuals and dailies and things. So uh, will you talk a little bit about how you steered it in, in the direction that you wanted it to go? And also, I'd love you to chat a little bit about the use of the greenhouses, because obviously it's quite unusual to have those wonderful greenhouses, but you use them to the maximum. Yeah. So because I'd done the floristry for a year, I already had a good idea of what what was really helpful and great to work with and what what I wasn't using or what we we as florists weren't using in the house. It it was 2014 and I came on one of your courses and I remember it was, I think it was the 1st of October that I'd gone on one of your courses and um, you were talking about hardy annuals and all the different plant groups and and I immediately came back and sowed a load of hardy annuals for the following year and so all of your books and that course were extremely helpful in terms of figuring out what I could grow and also it was the beginning of um, what became known as like the seasonal flower growing movement I guess and so on Instagram and and elsewhere online people were sharing so much about what was possible to grow in a British climate and also Erin Benzakeen at Florette Flowers was showing a lot of um, what was possible to grow and how, how to grow it and so I was just I just had all this information and there was all these incredible plants that weren't being grown there so it was a case of figuring out what it was possible to grow in a Derbyshire climate and and figuring out how to grow them and um, and getting on with it really and there was a lot of trial and error but piece by piece over the five years I was there, we ended up growing such a range of fabulous plants. And yeah, so there's two Victorian, well, there's four beautiful Victorian greenhouses, as you know, at Chatsworth. And yeah. um, I had two of them to to use. 
And so I started the year off early with, and Sophie continues to do this work now at Chatsworth, starting the season off in March with anemone coronaria and ranunculus asiaticus varieties. Um, and that that really was fabulous because we could get so many flower stems because, as you know, like the the corms, you know, each corn produces lots of stems as well. Yeah. So um, that made a huge difference. And then and then growing a fabulous selection of chrysanthemums at the end of the year. Yeah. So after all yeah. the frosts have wiped out your plants in the garden, you then get these incredible I mean, I when I started, I had, I had no idea about chrysanthemums and, and how amazing they could be. I just thought of them as those hideous things at petrol stations. But that was amazing to start discovering all these beautiful chrysanthemums as well. Uh, for, yeah. and, and, and in that way, I was able to get a few more months out of the year. <laughs> and so how many, I mean, it's so true. It's amazing because I've, I've seen your flowers in the house at Chatsworth and the anemones and the ranunculus and all those beautiful different colours and forms now that you can get ranunculus. And um, and then the chrysanthemums, which, as you say, couldn't look less like the sort of gold sphere with the sort of plastic petals around. They're sort of crazy shapes and, yeah. and wonderful colours and stuff. But how many buckets was it sort of needed for you to produce to go into the house? And, and how was it twice a week or once a week? Or So the house is decorated all the year round but it's but it's decorated with cut flowers and also pot plants that my colleague Marcus and Ian grow in um in two big green or in one big greenhouse sorry down you know outside of the cutting yeah. garden so yeah. it was kind of at Chatsworth every week's different because one week it'll just be you know the family in the house but the next week they'll every guest bedroom will be filled and there'll be a huge event on and it's not always predictable either you know it can happen at the last minute so it was never kind of documented in that way it it was it was more just um just grow as much as possible and um, use as much as possible but but also it was always so it was about productivity and getting the most out of the garden but it was also about creating a balance between that and the beauty of the garden because yes we have visitors coming round all year round or nine months of the year so the garden also did have to look good and it did have to be a demonstration garden so there's always this tension between you know wanting to cut and make the house look as amazing as possible and farm you know we were supplying the farm shop as well with bunches and events but also like wanting the garden to really look nice as well for for the visitors that who were coming to see it. So it's it's always this balance. It's so true. We always have <laughs> that with Perch Hill, which is like if the garden's open, we want it to look fantastic. So Josie's like, no, you can't pick that. And Arthur and I, yes, we can. yeah. <laughs> and it's like this <laughs> yeah, quite quite humorous battle. But there is a there is a balance, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we could go on talking about Chatsworth for at least our whole time, but I really want us to, to move on now to talk about the very exciting thing, which is that you decided to go to Floret, Erin, in Washington State, right down on the coast, right down in the bottom of America, so to speak, and spend two years no, working the there. Sorry, at the top, I mean, Sorry. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right near Canada. But, <laughs> but, exactly, but sort of near the the kind of LA San Francisco but further isn't it a bit yeah 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 
and uh, and it's got a climate very like ours, hasn't it? It's got the climate sort of most yes. like the UK climate. Yeah. So how did that come about that you went off? Yeah. So as I was saying, the um, my time in Chatsworth, it was it tied in with this kind of seasonal flower growing movement, which obviously Erin and uh, Florette has been a huge part of of that. And everybody is kind of connected through Instagram now, aren't they? And um, and so we're all able to communicate easily and look at what each other is doing in in, in their own gardens and on, on their farms. And several years ago, Erin had gone from a two-acre farm, a highly, highly productive two-acre farm, to acquiring a huge piece of land all around a property, which was about 24 acres in total. And she had this idea that she wanted to make gardens there and make it really beautiful because it was just empty space it was farmland that used to you know it was just there was a blueberry farm as part of it but other than that it was just completely bare and then her and her husband Chris came over to England to look at lots of gardens here to get inspiration for what to do there and we met then because they came to look around the cutting garden at Chatsworth and um, I in the end I ended up going over there and helping them kind of try to transform this piece of land and make lots of gardens and plant lots of hedges and the rest of it. I mean, the thing that I find uh, so inspiring about Erin and that their whole setup is like me in a tiny way. She's really obsessed by trialing, isn't she? So, uh, and breeding actually. Yes. So that she, rather than just buying what's available, she kind of buys everything that's available from around the world tries it out, decides what she likes, whether it be in dahlias or poppies or annuals or roses or whatever it is, or peonies, and then starts moving it on too. And um, I know one of her things that she's working on at the moment is organic flower seed, isn't it? Yeah, that is now, because there was a big transition in their business that they went from being really successful cut flower growers, um, supplying whole food shops and things like yeah. that, to they then started focusing their efforts on education, you know, educating other flower growers. And also a huge thing that they're doing now is breeding and selecting their own flower seeds. So that is now kind of what the farmland is for. It's for growing these crops for new varieties. You know, they're focusing particularly at the moment on zinnias and dahlias, uh, which has been amazing to see. You know, and celosias as well. Interesting. Oh, yeah, you see celosias. <laughs> you don't see many do celosias over here, do you? I've tried. No, they don't. Try. They didn't yeah. at Chatsworth. Yeah. Yeah, celosias are frustrating here, I think. Uh, the, all the celosias are, are in polytunnels, yeah. But um, maybe maybe we'll get there with them. I tried celosias at Chatsworth, but didn't get very far with them at all. You don't. It's yeah. not something you see many people growing here, is it? It's not something no, I, I really that comes up need... that much more heat so I suppose with those influences behind you well three you know your fine art and then your incredible background in floristry and then Chatsworth and then and then the whole thing with Erin and the States where are you at now what what are you planning forward you know what what what's your next great project well at the moment I'm working on a really interesting 
Garden for Luciano Duble for Raby Castle. So he's been commissioned to do this, to create this garden in a walled garden at Raby Castle, in which is in Durham, this incredible medieval castle. And um, we're going to collaborate on the cutting garden there. So there's going to be a cutting garden on the west side of this walled garden. Um, so that's what I'm working on at the moment. Amazing. Yeah, so that that's a really fabulous project and something I'm really excited about just to work with Luciano because obviously he's a really amazing garden designer and mm. but he, he's got a very different set of skills from me, you know, like um, especially when it yeah. comes to structural planting. And I find that a lot of... The flower, the plants I'm growing are all kind of airy and fluffy and that. And the structural part of it is going to be so interesting to kind of work with him on, on all of that anyway. And I'm also going to be, um, I haven't started it quite yet, but actually the Duke and Duchess at Chatsworth, they're, they're setting up a house. Their family is actually going to move into the main house and they're moving to Enza, a smaller to, to a smaller house there and with a new garden and I'm and I'm gonna make them a smaller cutting garden as well there. So um Brilliant. so I'm really looking forward to getting started on that. That's that seems great. And there's a few other things in the pipeline, but they're my main focuses at the moment. And obviously I might go back to America to work for Florette, but that won't be in such a long stint. It'll be in, in much shorter shorter stints. Yeah. One of the things that I felt really inspired by you on is photography. And I feel not only do you have a really incredible eye for a plant, but you also are genius at laying them out. And I think you were one of the first people who really did that whole flat lay thing. And they're just so stunning week by week or month by month, the range of dahlias and stuff. And I've noticed that you've inspired the other Chatsworth gardeners. So I follow their vegetable gardener on Instagram. Oh, Glenn, yeah. Glenn, yeah. And he does now beautiful ones with vegetables, which... Anyway, how did you come across that? Because I really do feel that you were one of the first people, if not the first person who did it so beautifully. Well, uh, thank you. I um, I just wanted to document what was flowering every week in the garden. I needed a way of remembering what was flowering, basically. And, um, and I am just a very visual person. Like I'm, I am, and, and also I wasn't, computers kind of weren't really practical in that role. I, I didn't have an office or anything. I was just in the greenhouse where it was wet and or outside. So what I ended up doing was just every week I would just cut a bucket of flowers and then take them home. And over the weekend, I'd just, I'd photograph them. And at first it was just laying them out side by side and it was just a purely practical thing. But then I just started to really, I was like, I was, I just want to make things look better, you know? So, yeah. so then they got a bit more extravagant and then they were kind of, you know, it was more about making them look, you know, just making a, an image, a beautiful image. And yeah. I wanted a way also, because I wasn't, when I was doing the growing, I wasn't doing the floristry that, you know, we had a team of florists doing the floristry that, then. So I wanted a way of handling what what I was growing, you know, and actually getting to know it and cutting it and, and a reason to do that. And, you know, by taking them home and, and arranging them and 
it was a way of learning about how long they were lasting and how robust they were. And, you know, the centre of a Philadelphia is the exact same colour as this thing over here. And, you know, maybe that, maybe they would be great growing in a border together. And, you know, so it was all, it's all part of the same thing and um, a, a creative outlet for me, but it also fed back into planting schemes that I would then you know, grow the next year and, and things like that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, definitely sort of before we begin to wrap up, I just would love it if you would describe, I don't know, maybe from all this background that you've got in growing, what are, I don't know, your two or three favourite groups of plants perhaps, and then maybe one or two cracking tips for success and then also for failures so you know with all your background in growing and I know with teaching you know you had a terrible problem with rabbits at the beginning and and I remember you talking about that so first of all yeah would you would you just describe your favorites favorites in terms of groups of plants so a huge thing for me at Chatsworth to get as much out of the year was to grow varieties from all the different groups of plants so perennials annuals bulbs biennials grasses everything shrubs trees you know it was getting the whole mix which would enable us to really extend the seasons and um one of the first things that I started to do was to grow biennials because they really I learned this from your that very first class that I took from you they really help stitch the season together that gap between say the tulips and the perennials and annuals come in and so you go from kind of eulinaria which flowers at the same time as the crab apples and then you've got the hesperis and foxgloves are a big thing as well so obviously they need planting in in June, sowing in June, but they're so worthwhile. You know, it's a pain to be sowing the, something in the middle of June when you're concerned with the current years, see, you know, the current yes. year, but so important. And at that point, I'd also be sowing a few short-lived perennials, you know, like Anthriscus, Sylvestris, Ravens, you know, the black leaf cow parsley yes. and yes. aquilegias and lupins. I'd sow, I'd sow them then as well um, because yeah. they – in a year's time, they'll be giving you some fabulous flowers. So biennials is a big group that I I love. I think hardy annuals. I don't. It always surprises me how few people know that you can. There's a whole range of annuals that you can sow before the winter. You know, for the yeah. following year, and which saves you so much time in spring. So that was a huge thing that really got me addicted to gardening in the first place. Is you know growing. Lots, a whole range of hardy annuals like cerinthi to start the season yeah. off and sweet peas and ami and scabious and cornflowers and getting such great stems on the cornflowers too. That was yeah. that was amazing, even though they're a pain to cut. Yeah. But yeah. the thing that I'm really um, loving at the moment is the winter flowering shrubs and trees. I feel like that's a, I know they're, they're much more expensive to, to get in to begin with, but my goodness, things like witch hazels, you know, just one stem in a in a vase, like what could be better and the scent that you get from that. I mean, yeah. that to me is just what it's all about. And but also there's things like even Cornus Mass and Viburnum Bodnan Tense yes. Dawn. Uh, we at, at Florette we planted these amazing Coriolopsis. I mean, gosh, I, like I fell in love with Coriolopsis. Like, mm. I mean, that's like March, but 
but you're watching the buds open for for quite a while as well. So, and then there's even things like, you know, like the Ribes sanguinium white icicle, you know, that's so early and, um, and adds so much. So I feel like there's a whole range of winter shrubs, you know, when you need when you need them the the flowers the most they're there but I don't I think because they're a bit more of an expensive Daphne's oh my goodness yeah Yeah, absolutely and even even like hellebores I know they're a pain because they can droop but just floating them in a bowl of water I just think this whole winter range of um of shrubs and trees yeah there's so much there but I I know why they get missed out because they're expensive to get in in the first place but so so worthwhile I think yeah yeah Yeah, so so there's a few plant groups that oh and also prunus autumnalis have you ever used prunus autumnalis I haven't ever used it as a cut flower but I I always want to I just have never had a tree sub hurtle or whatever it's called yeah that's right yeah yeah so yeah they're great very good. And uh, maybe if you could just describe to us your, well, I mean, I, I can tell everyone one success that you've had and have taught me is how to grow tuberose, which is that wonderful, wonderful polyanthus bulb with that incredible fragrance, which we'd failed to grow. Yeah. And um, you actually taught me that it's it's really best for September and October, isn't it? And crammed into a pot and so it's it's always sold in catalogues in the spring, but actually you don't really want to plant it till kind of June, do you? Yeah, I planted it when it got... I felt, I I think what it was, I mean, it's a bit of a long time ago now since I've grown them, but it, the bottom heat to get them going was a huge thing. And they, they're amaryllis family as well. And they, so they like to be, like amaryllis, they like to be their neck sticking out a little bit of the pot. And uh, I think they're from Mexico originally. So even that, I think even though they do like quite a bit of moisture, they do like it also free draining. They don't want to be sat in the in the wet. And um, I actually in those greenhouses at Chatsworth, there's these big heating pipes, and I used to actually sit them on a plank of wood on top of those pipes for the bottom heat. Wow. And I and I think that was Gosh. a real key thing is getting that bottom heat. But I did also move them out once they started flowering it's cooler so they like it hot to begin with and then and then in the summer you just put them outside or leave them in a cool greenhouse yeah yeah so well I mean I know that's quite specialist but the scent is incredible and just yeah you only need yeah, two so flowers in it. it the whole it perfumes the whole room fabulous and then uh, tell us what you do about rabbits because I know they were a massive battle for you at Chatsworth yeah, they were. So me and Veronica, who is one of my re- very regular volunteers, we put in this uh, weld mesh kind of netting, all well, metal fencing all the way around the beds. We had these huge, great beds. And we dug down 30 centimetres. So the netting actually went down 30 centimetres so they couldn't burrow underneath. And that was crucial. Mm. Uh, and then it, I think it was 60 centimetres above ground. And uh, that did, it did resolve the problem completely. It also made it a bit trickier for the florists to actually get in yeah, to, to get, get the flowers. Yeah. But um, yeah, but that was huge. That was, I mean, that was quite a big battle in the first year. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to shoot them or anything anytime soon. No. Not, I'm no. too soft. No. 
But um, so that that resolved that problem. <laughs> yeah, it definitely you do. I, it's a question I get asked most common and commonly in a way with people, particularly in the country, is how do I deal with the rabbits? And I'm just like, you need to fence. But it doesn't need to be expensive. It's just yeah. a bit time consuming, isn't it? It was the digging down that was the time consuming thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and so then finally, before we say goodbye, I'd just love you to tell me perhaps, I don't know whether it's mean to say your absolute favourite cut flower. I mean, you introduced me to the dahlia called Chianti, which is actually quite oh, yeah. difficult to get. Oh, is it? Yeah, I find it quite difficult to find. But it's so stunning. But it, of all the things that you've ever mm. grown, what would be your absolute number one, two and three maybe? Oh, my God. That is a tricky question, Sarah. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, okay, I want to say Dahlia Chianti now because <laughs> you've reminded me of how lovely it is. I think I would go, I think for me, it was just about, um, one of the huge things was getting these kind of cracking how to grow ranunculus and anemones yes. for early in the season. So they yes. they really became a huge thing. So I'd say I wouldn't be without the anemones and ranunculus. And also Icelandic poppies. Gosh, I just oh, love Icelandic yes. poppies, you know. But I, I mean, I couldn't even narrow it down, really. There's just, in yeah. ev- and, and right now I just want to say witch hazel. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Well, you're a good seasonal girl, that's why. <laughs> so I guess you like what's around right now. Absolutely, yeah. I think working with the seasons is one of the loveliest things you can do. At the minute, I'd I'd say the kind of witch hazels and the early flowering prunus are my favourite plants. Yeah, very good. Thank you so much, Becky. It was really lovely to catch up and I'm sure everyone's learnt lots from that. I certainly have. And I hope you'll come down to visit us, Perchill, very soon. I'd love to. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. See you soon, Becky. Thanks so much for listening to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange. Next week, Arthur and I are together again and we're going to be talking about lilies, which we feel are a rather underestimated plant group or bulb at the moment because everyone's been put off them by lily beetle. But they are, of course, the most spectacular looking bulb and the scent is quite fantastic. So join us next week for lilies. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.